Romans chapter 2. We are going to, I think, finish Romans 2 today. Woohoo! Um, I'm going to read from 17 to 29. And that's got a couple points, and, I, and then I think that'll do it. Just to catch you up, if you have not been with us at all for Romans, Paul wrote Romans. It's an amazing letter, and his goal is to point to Jesus. His goal is to call people, what we've said is to get into the gospel current. So there's a, a gospel current that leads us to salvation. There's an anti-gospel current that leads us to destruction. And Paul is he's writing this letter to people who are Jews who have the law, they have like certain things that they've done to make them appear like God's chosen people because they are his chosen people. And he's also writing to Gentiles who for the longest time Jews were like, if you're not a Jew, too bad, you can't get in. And then um, we read in Acts how the Holy Spirit got poured out on Gentiles and Peter kept going, what is happening right now? Like these people aren't supposed to be in the club, but now they're in the club. And so Paul's writing to Romans who are trying to navigate, what does it look like for Jews and Gentiles to go to church together? Make sense so far? And so Paul is like, anybody cut down trees? Has anybody ever cut down a tree on purpose? <laughs> um, like, Paul's like cutting down this tree, and he is, he is taking some big swings, and he is making sure that by the time he's done, Everybody, Jew and Gentile, understand that all of us are on level ground before the cross. That's where we are. So it can feel a little harsh. Have you noticed that? Like sometimes that axe swings and it hits your neighbor and you're like, whew. But then it swings and hits you and you're like, ow. And he's hitting everybody. Right. I told you at the beginning that one of the things I'm praying for is that our church would not be offended because everybody has the opportunity to get offended when you read Romans, especially these first few chapters. Um, life lesson, how do I know if I have an offense? When you're defensive. When you're defensive, you have picked up an offense. So when Paul writes these things and you go, Ooh, that's not me, you got an offense, right? When, you're, when you live your life defensively, biting everybody's head off, you have picked up an offense. So uh, I give you permission to lay that down, right, and just recognize that everybody's going to get hit at some point, right, because he's leveling the playing field. That's what he's doing. So in this last half of Romans 2, he is specifically swinging the axe at Jews, which in our culture would kind of be like church people. I mean, I don't. I'm trying not to correlate church people with Jews and unchurched people with Gentiles because I don't know that's exactly what Paul's doing. I'm just trying to help us relate it, right? Like somebody who's grown up in church, I think typically would relate more to how he's talking to the Jews. And somebody who has not grown up in church would probably be like, I didn't know what a Gentile was, but that sounds like me, right? Um, so Romans chapter 2, verses 17 through 29. Paul says this, Now you, if you call yourself a Jew... If you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children because you 
because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then, now you understand those first four verses, he was just like building the case, like if you think you're a Jew and, you, and all these things, and he just named a bunch of things that Jews would do. Verse 21, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Circumcision has value. Uh, the purpose of today is not to explain circumcision. Have a great lunch. Circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. So then, verse 26, if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you who, even though you have the written code and circumcision, are a lawbreaker. Verse 28, a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. All right, Lord, this is your word, and I don't want to mess it up. So I'm asking that you would speak clearly through me about what you have written so that we can look more like Jesus in your name. Amen. Now, listen, um, we're going to talk about hypocrisy. So I feel like I need to define what hypocrisy is. So hypocrisy is appearing to be someone you are not or appearing to have something you do not. Let me just say that again. Hypocrisy is appearing to be someone you are not or to have something you do not. This is very, very important because most people that don't go to church will say they don't go to church because church is full of hypocrites. And I don't think that's necessarily true. I think the church is full of imperfect people. That's not the same as a hypocrite. Okay? One more statement. Hypocrisy is not the presence of sin. Hypocrisy is the presence of sin without the confession of sin. You, you get what I'm saying? It's acting like you have something that you do not. Um, this might go over like a lead balloon. Let's see. I'm going to ask you a simple question. All I need you to do is raise your hand if, you agree, if, you, if it's true about you. Raise your hand if in the past week you had a moral failure. A moral failure. Yeah, right. The reason why some of us are like, um, I, wait, I don't think I did, and you're looking at your spouse to make sure they also didn't raise their hand, is <laughs> because we think of moral failures as the big ones. Right? Um, I... If, we're, if we understand our true human nature, then we would ask the question, you mean only one? Right? Because all of us have probably failed morally 
multiple times a day, that's just humanity. When we come to church and act like we didn't, that's hypocrisy. I was studying this week about a, a, an author, a famous author. He's had huge influence over, over culture. He's dead now. And what I learned about him, I actually heard this in a book. They mentioned that he became an alcoholic after he became a Christian, which kind of threw people for a loop. Do you understand? All right. And so I kind of did some dig and found out that's not true. He was an alcoholic way before he became a Christian. But after he became a Christian, he, was, he still struggled with alcohol. And they, they said literally he would go like into a service like this and he would teach and he would preach and people would be like taking notes like this guy is amazing. And then he would go back to his hotel room and get drunk. And I, I turned to Wendy and I was like, I mean, what, what would we do with that? We'd probably tell him to stop teaching. All right, that's kind of what the church would do today. But, but the thing about it was he never hit it. He never acted any certain way. He was like, this is who I am. This is my struggle. And, and we don't know what to do with that. We don't know what to do with imperfection. So we act like we don't have it. Which makes us look like hypocrites. Which makes us a bad witness. We're going to talk about all this in Romans chapter 2. I just want you to understand that hypocrisy is not sin. It's not the presence hypocrisy is, but you're not a hypocrite because you sinned. You're a hypocrite because you sin and act like you don't. I'm sorry, we are hypocrites because we sin and act like we don't. I don't get to do the you, me thing on this one, right? Actually, ever, but especially on this one. Because all of us are going to struggle. We're all going to sin. We're all going to fall short. And, and Paul is just driving this home. Two points. Number one, our hypocrisy blinds us to our need of God. And that's what makes this a hard message to teach, not because I'm scared of y'all, but it's, it's hard to teach on hypocrisy because people that are struggling with hypocrisy don't think it's about them. It's like parents of teenagers. Have you ever found yourself saying this to your teenager on a Saturday morning when he or she does not want to get out of bed? You're just like, quit being so apathetic. I just need you to care a little. Tell an apathetic person to care is like, but I'm apathetic. I don't care that you want me to care, right? It's, it's like hard to, this is kind of that way. Like I can talk all day long about hypocrisy, but if we're struggling with hypocrisy, we don't see our need of it, which is why we could be in a service like this and we could like see the scriptures and be convicted for our neighbor, you really need, wake up. You need this. This one's for you. Because we're blind to our own need for God. Which is why Paul wrote those first few verses that we read to the Jews. He's like, look, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and you boast in God, like he's, he's kind of setting them up. Like you see how he's like, if you think you're this and you think you're this and you think you're this, like he's just building up like... 
you, and then he says right in verse 19, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind. You see the Jews going, that's right. I am God's gift to the blind. I am your God. And what Paul's saying is like, no. He's talking to people that, that are convinced that, 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 that they don't need what he's talking about. They're elbowing their neighbor in the synagogue, in the house church, wherever this is being read. And they're like, you really need to listen up. If you are convinced that you are a God for them. People who are convinced that they are better have a hard time even entertaining the possibility that they might not be. Pride is a deal breaker in the kingdom. First Peter chapter 5, verse 5, the last part of that verse says that God opposes the proud. I've preached on this a number of times, but the Greek word for oppose is a legal term. And it basically means that when we're prideful, when we are pride, that, that was Southern right there. When we're prideful, <laughs> right? <laughs> I need you to see the light. <laughs> when we're prideful, then that, what that literally means is when we are prideful, that we are going against God in the court of law. Like, we're defending ourselves, and we look over at the prosecutor, and it's God. Yeah, it's over. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't, it's over. He opposes the proud, right? Pride is a deal breaker in the kingdom. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Listen to this parable that Jesus told. Um, he said, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. <laughs> Y'all are like, he's talking to you. Right? He's, he, he's, he's looking at a crowd of hypocrites. And this is who he tells the story to. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, that would be the religious leader, the Jew, stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Like He got real, right? Like it went from like people that might exist to like this guy right here. Calls them out, throws them under the bus. He says, I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Y'all, pride, pride is a deal breaker. Our hypocrisy blinds us to our own need of God. Which is why, are y'all good, by the way? Wait, we're all good? Uh, this is hitting too close to home. Which is why you love church when you've been good. And you hate church when you haven't. And pastors get up and say, well, that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit, brother. Maybe. Or maybe it's because we're just convinced that God loves good people and hates bad people. 
Maybe we've bought some lie that there's not grace for us when we're bad. And so we, we come to church when things are good. We kind of don't when it's not until it's really not. And then we're like, help. Y'all, we need God. We need the gospel. On your best week, you need the gospel. On your worst week, you definitely need the gospel. There's never a moment of any day that I don't need the good news of Jesus. And this is where we need to allow the Holy Spirit to do his job, right? It's not my job to beat you up, to beat myself up, to convince all of us that we're terrible people. We need the Holy Spirit to lead us. John 16, 13 says this, but when he, Jesus is talking, the spirit of truth, that's the Holy Spirit. When he comes, he will guide you, lead you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. I love that the Holy Spirit guides us into all truth and then comforts us when he gets us there, right? Because I don't know how you are, but when the truth, when I see the truth about who I am, I need some comfort. And he does that. 2 Timothy 3, verses 12 through 17. Paul says this, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's a whole nother sermon, right? Your best life, right? Persecution. While evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. I want you to focus in verse 13, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 13, he said, imposters, okay? Imposters, those would be hypocrites, pretending to be something that they are not. But as for you, listen to the authenticity in these, in these verses. Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And in, in a sermon about hypocrisy, pretending to be one way when we're actually another way, Paul is saying to Timothy, remember what you're convinced of. And what you learned because you saw the witness of the testimony in people that you trust. That have lived a real life of faith. And then he says in verse 16, all scripture, including the one in Romans I just read, that, that feels like it wants to beat us up, right? Like, oh my gosh, like when will we get to the good news in Romans, right? But even these parts that are hard and like, we, 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 well, that's about the Jews and I'm a Gentile, but this is about, it's kind of about religious people. It's about church people. It's about people that know the Bible, know the law. He says, even that scripture, it's God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God, raise your hand if you're a follower of Jesus, so that the servant of God, that's you, will be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Why is it so important that the Holy Spirit searches us and knows us right now? Rhetorical question. Here's the answer. Because of the second point. See, hypocrisy blinds us to our need for God, but our hypocrisy also blinds others to their need for God. Do you see that at the end? It was, I think it's verse 24. 
He says, as it is written, just let this sink in. God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. When people say they don't want to go to church because it's full of hypocrites, they're actually quoting that verse. Like, God can't be, he can't be real because you keep talking about him and you're not changing. So I don't want to go to church and sit there and give up an hour or two, watch people sing, hear a guy talk. I don't want to do that if it's not going to transform my life because I've been, I've been living next to you. You've been my neighbor for a decade, and, like, you're not different. They're saying, verse 24, blaspheming God's name because of you. It made me think of this really cheesy big idea. Don't throw things. I don't want to be a hypocrite, so I'm just going to admit right up front that this is really cheesy. But I think it gets the point across. Huh. God's name gets the blame when we fake having a flame. I stole that from Dr. Seuss. <laughs> so think this through with me. Y'all know my mind works in weird ways. We want everything to be very instant. So I was researching microwaves, not to buy one, but just getting ready for this message. And like, I, I actually, my whole life, I've always heard like, you don't want to be a microwave, you want to be like a crockpot faith, like you want to out an inside, like an um, outside, inside out faith, not an outside in faith. Like you don't want to get heated up like a microwave from the outside in. So I like Googled it. And here's what I found out, that people actually market microwaves as something that heats from the inside out. But they don't. The microwave, the microwaves bounce all around inside that microwave. And they hit the outside of whatever's in there. And the inside gets heated as the things around it get heated. Which is why, and we lived this out the other day, like we were heating up our supper in the microwave. And Wendy, we heated hers up and she pulled it out. It had been, like, been in there for like an hour. No, I'm kidding. Like three minutes maybe. And I was like, it probably needs to go a little bit longer. And she was like, no, it's probably good. And I said, okay. And then she, she like took a bite of the center and it was ice cold. The inside still cold, outside and dish hot. Paul's saying this, like we need, we need to have an inside out faith. Which is why when you're in a season where, like, God's doing work in you, like, can we please get through this season, right? And he's like, we really need to make sure you're done. Because I don't want the world to think that when they taste me through your life, it's going to be a certain way, and then it's cold. I need to make sure that you're actually set a fire down in my soul, right? I need to make sure that it's in you coming out. Not that you appear one way, but really are a different way. Because when we pretend to have a flame, I am red hot for Jesus. But people can watch our lives and go, really? When I was all those years youth pastoring, I would tell our students all the time, just 
Live your life in such a way that when your friends at school find out that you're a Christian, they don't go, what? Don't make people be surprised when they find out that you love Jesus. They should go, oh, that explains a lot, right? God's name gets the blame when we fake having a flame. Because Paul wrote in another letter that we are Christ's ambassadors, right? So when they meet us, they should kind of think they're meeting Jesus. I, I told Wendy, I, I think we're going to have to start church planting. I'm just planting churches all over the place because I keep thinking of mission statements that I think would be really good. And I don't know if we should change ours because ours is good too. But, like, I thought the other day, like, what if we had a mission statement that said our our whole reason for existing at the gathering is for people to mistake us for Jesus. Right? Like they go, you look like somebody. Are you Jesus? Uh, no, no. And you read the Bible like, didn't it happen all the time? Paul's in Acts saying, whoa, 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 I'm just a man. Right? I want to worship him like he's a God. I'm just a man. Oh, I'm just a man. Man, I want people to mistake us for Jesus. I want them to see in us such an authenticity that we would actually be Christians, which means Christ-like. What's interesting when you read Acts is that they were first called Christians in a non-Christian place. The church didn't come up with that term. The world did. They were first called Christians at Antioch, a place that was so far from God. And people watched their lives and said, they're Christians. They look like Jesus. And when we look like Jesus, we point people to God. They get it. When we don't look like him, our hypocrisy keeps people from seeing their need of God. It's just why Jesus spoke so harshly to the Pharisees. Matthew chapter 23, we will not read that whole chapter. But Jesus uses the word hypocrite seven times. Seven times as he condemned the Pharisees for inconsistent views. You said this, but you do this, you hypocrite. I just want to call our church to authenticity, right? To instead of hypocrisy, can we, can we have humility? God, this is who I really am, and you already know it, so I'm not going to pretend. Let's just be very clear, right? He is purifying the bride. He is preparing us for what he wants us to do, but it has to happen in us before it can happen through us. And it's the end part that's hard, right? Like, like I saw, I saw I, when he was like, the other day she dropped a D word in the house. Dietitian. She was like, I, I want to find a, uh, by the way, you can help with this. She was like, I want to find, find a dietitian. We can talk to them about our diet. So if you know anybody, don't talk to Wendy. <laughs> <laughs> we want the easy way out, right? Like, I want to I wanna be able to work out run, eat whatever I want, and have a six-pack. Don't work that way. Like, the diet matters. Like, what you're putting in, like, it inside matters. And for us as believers, 
inside matters. It matters that people can look at us and go, oh, their, their words match their life. And when the word that is true that comes out of their mouth doesn't match their life, they repent. They model that. All the times that I have turned to Wendy on the front row, hear other churches right before I'd get up to speak, and I would just go, I'm so sorry. She's like, why? I just, I can't go up there and preach after, after like the ride in the car on the way to church, right? Like after, or after last night or whatever, whatever argument we'd had, disagreement we'd had, like I'm just so sorry that I didn't live out what I'm getting ready to go preach. And I don't want you to hear me preach and think that I don't know that I didn't live it out. And she's like, we're good. Okay, I just want to make absolutely sure, Right? What if, what if we lived our lives in community like that? Then the world would never say we're hypocrites. They would just say, I mean, you got a lot of work to do. And we'd be like, yes, yes, we do. As a matter of fact, um, I, I, mean, I guess we could fall on our faces and repent and all that stuff. That would be awesome. But um, how about if I just give you one way to apply this message, if you're willing I told you at the beginning that you know you're offended when you get defensive, right? So how about this week, anytime somebody points out something that you did wrong, thank them. Like, like say things. <laughs> I got, I got, that hit different, didn't it? <laughs> you were like... See, I've never heard a church like so quickly go, no, let's just sing some worship songs and <laughs> thank them. I wish I could say that I do this perfectly all the time, but that would be hypocritical of me. But I will tell you this. When God started to show me, like, this is how you can interact with people, especially people that don't love Jesus. I'm sure, am I the only one in the room that has heard somebody that doesn't love Jesus look at you and say, and you call yourself a Christian? Have you ever heard those words? Does that ever make you want to hit them? Which is also not Christ-like. Just making sure you know. But when, when, when people have said that to me, and you, and you have to just be with the Lord and have this be a genuine statement from your heart, don't fake it because that's hypocritical. But it's amazing the conversation that you have when somebody says, and you call yourself a Christian, and your response is, oh, you're so right. God, thank you. Because I did not represent Jesus. Scanning the room quickly, seeing the ages of the people in the room. I think I can get away with this. When I went to camp when, between the summer between my junior and my senior year, I was raised in church. I've told you this before. Um, I, was, I think I might have been actually born in church on the pew, but <laughs> my, my whole life I've been in church. My parents had that if the doors were open, we're going mentality. Um, 
So I definitely was, I looked good. I mean, not like, you know what I'm saying. I looked the part of a Christian, but my heart was so far from God. And, you know, I've talked about addiction to porn. Um, just, I mean, just that leads to doing stuff you probably don't need to do, with people you probably don't need to do it with. I'm just I'm trying, trying, trying to be sensitive and, like, not paint too graphic of a picture. But when I went to camp and the Lord saved me, and I came back to Albemarle, and I went to my girlfriend's house to tell her the good news that I was saved. And I, I had an interesting form of evangelism. We made out and stuff. As I, I mean, I just told her that I just give my heart to Jesus. I'm, I'm a different person. And then we were doing things that proved that maybe I wasn't. <laughs> and in the middle of that, she said, I thought you were a Christian. I was like, oh, my God. I can't even be mad at you for saying that because you're right. What am I doing? And I apologized to her. Like, I came to tell you that I gave my heart to Jesus, and on my, like, first assignment, I have blown it because I have not shown you what he looks like. And I'm sorry. And I apologized to her. And then when I got in my car, man, did I apologize to God. Listen, if you can't receive correction, it starts there. Don't be mad at the people that are calling out the inconsistencies in your life. Thank them. Thank them without shaming them for having done it. God, I pray this morning that you would, oh, and just continue the process that you're doing in us. I get it. This is hard and Maybe it just hits too close to home. We don't quite know what to do. But it's your word. And I'm so thankful that we are, man, we're, we're rapidly approaching the really good news that you have provided for us in Jesus. And in this time where we're like in these first couple chapters and it just feels like every week we're getting smashed again. I pray that you would continue to remind us of the kindness that you show us. That it is leading us to repentance. It's reminding us of who you are. And honestly, that's what we need from the Holy Spirit. We don't need the Holy Spirit to beat us up about what we already know about ourselves. We need him to remind us of who he's called us to be in Christ. To show us the way of righteousness there is a better way than living one way for six days and pretending to be different on one. And I'm praying over the gathering because this is the house that I've been called to. I'm praying that people in Albemarle and Stanley County would say, that church, that church is jacked up. And those people know Jesus. And he loves them. And I need him to love me like that on my bad days too.
That this would be a place where people can come and be honest and safe and authentic and be loved and not judged. Because we who say don't often still do. And for that, we repent. Humble our hearts, God. And make us Christ-like in every sense of the word. In Jesus' name, amen.